Three scenes in the life of a Trotskyist. Scene two, literature and revolution. Lev Trachtenberg's office at Columbia University, March 3rd, 1967. There are books everywhere, books piled on chairs, stacked on his desk, overflowing bookshelves. There's maybe some prints from the Met or MoMA commemorating shows now several years past. It's the office of a successful mid-career academic who has mastered the canon, but doesn't like to think of himself as an insider. A knock on the door. Come in. David, a black freshman, enters. David wears a suit and tie and carries his books in his hand. David. Jeez. Is it 1.30 already? I'm working on an essay about Wallace Stevens for the review. The... Partisan review. Right, I forget. With the review of books, it's different. Used to be you said the review, people knew what you were talking about, but now... Anyway, the point is, if I'd kept better track of time, I would have cleaned up. What am I saying? That's not true. Sometimes I feel like the clerk in Chaucer. Yet had he but little golden coffer, but all that he might of his friends hent, on books and on learning he it spent. All I mean to say is that maybe I have too many books. Oh. Have you not gotten to Chaucer and Lit Hume yet? I don't know who that is. It's not on the syllabus? No. Could have sworn it was. Let me check. Lev opens a course catalog for literature and humanities. He reads, flips back and forth. Huh. You're right. No Chaucer. Yeah. I'm taking the course. That you are. And how's it going? It's interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Would you care to elaborate? Well, it's hard. It seems like a lot of the other students have either read the books, or if they haven't read them, they've heard them discussed. They know the basic plot, or... I guess the Republic doesn't really have a plot. Yeah. They make jokes about the books that I don't understand. And they all nod and laugh along. Like, it's a joke they've heard their father tell a hundred times, and they're relishing the opportunity to finally tell it. What kind of jokes? They're stupid. Like what? You really want to know? Sure. Well, on the first day of class, we were going over the syllabus, and the instructor mentioned we'd be reading Oedipus. So the guy next to me said, that Oedipus, he's a real motherfucker. Yeah, that is stupid. And then he scanned the room to see who got it. It's like it wasn't enough for them to get into Columbia, they need to create smaller and smaller cliques and clubs. And that only works if you shut somebody out. That sounds difficult. It's fine. My grades aren't as good as they were in high school, which makes sense. But it feels like that's related. They hold these study groups, and I somehow always get left out of the loop. I read every book twice, but by the time I've done it, it's usually the night before the papers do. Professor Trachtenberg, they assign a lot of papers. Right. It's a survey course. They want to make sure you're reading everything. Yeah, that makes sense. But look, I understand how you feel. When I came to college, I knew Marx, Dickens, and the complete works of Avram Goldfaden. David gets out a notebook and a pencil. Would you mind spelling that? 
you don't, no one's going to quiz you on that. There's Shakespeare of the Yiddish theater. With all due respect to the Bard of Avon. Oh. You seem anxious. I suppose you could say that. And truly, that does sound rough. But kids are assholes. Especially rich kids. The point of a core curriculum like the one we have at Columbia is that it's meant to level the playing field. You've never read any of this stuff, and they have. Probably less than they pretend to. Because honestly, the schools they went to, Exeter or Andover, they're not great institutions of learning. They're finishing schools. You're not as far behind as you think. Kind of you to say that, Professor. Sure. We got to stick out for each other. We? The working class. And especially our two corners of it. You know, I, I marched with Dr. King in 63. Oh. And I lobbied hard to get your scholarship program started. We've had black students for years, but mostly the sons of black professionals, kids who went to the schools we were just talking about. I was the one who told the president that if we really cared about racial justice, we had to open our doors to the black proletariat. Oh, okay. What I'm saying is I'm on your side. Thank you. So, you're an English major. I haven't decided. I'm surprised. Why? Well, you're taking my course. It's pretty heavy stuff. Most people who take it are at least considering a career in the academy. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why it's called an advanced colloquium. There weren't any prereqs. Is that why you took it? No, it, it sounded... Don't say interesting. Yeah. I'm kidding. Oh. So, why did you take it? Why did I... No, it's not a trick question. I'm, I'm trying to figure out why you're in my course so that I can know how to help you, what your goals are. It sounded like... Professor, I feel like what I'm about to say might give you a low estimation of my intelligence. David, please, I think you're very bright. After the first semester of Lit Hume, I thought that reading some more modern texts might be easier. Ah, Modern literature. I, I thought we'd be reading... What, Peyton Place? No. At my high school, we read The Sun Also Rises, The Great Gatsby. I liked those books. I, I felt like they were about a world... Well, well, not a world I knew, but one I could understand. The people in them talked like people, but in your class... Right. The high modernists can be a bit difficult. Elliot, Joyce, Pound... The way they play with language is a lot of the point. Yeah. And with those three in particular, they're really assuming a foundation in the canon. You could have made that a prereq. Yeah, I guess. May I speak frankly? Frankly, you may. The writers in your course, the way they use all those references, it almost feels like they're... Well, like the students with their jokes... It feels like they're making it purposely difficult to understand what they're saying. Hmm. And not equally difficult for everyone. It's not just that the prose is difficult. It's like they only want a few people who've read everything they've read to understand their work. Like with Eliot, The Wasteland. Who puts footnotes on a poem? Well, that's actually kind of a funny joke because most of those are intentionally misleading. How is anyone supposed to know that? David, nobody ever said poetry was easy. But shouldn't it at least be clear? 
Shouldn't you be able to read the poem and understand what the author is trying to say? No. No, I don't think so. Why not? David, you're a Christian? How did you... Uh, you're right. I shouldn't have assumed, but I will point out I was right. You know the story of Isaac wrestling with God? Of course. And he says... I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Yeah. I mean, we're using different translations, but yeah, that's how I think of modernist literature. It's a wrestle, a struggle, and a blessing. Okay. The best poetry is music and philosophy at the same time. Eliot's created a profoundly beautiful poem that also expresses a quite specific point of view about modern society. He thinks that modernity is essentially diseased. This is coming out of the Great War, but also his own tortured relationship with Christianity. He's a Christian? Yeah, profoundly, problematically so. He sees traditional culture as being in total freefall, total disarray. Like Marx says, all that is solid melts into air, all that is sacred is profane. He's a Marxist. No, definitely not. But they're looking at the same thing from different angles. You following this? I think so. And so, as traditional culture fragments and decays, it shows up in new and surprising ways in the poetry. Like fossils exposed after a landslide. And not just high culture, mythology, folk songs, stupid pop jingles. Hurry up, please, it's time, is what the bartender used to say at last call. But here, it's transformed into something ominous, looming, apocalyptic. Eliot isn't just telling us about the breakdown of society, he's showing us. In his poetry and in himself. Don't. What? I don't understand how you got any of that from this poem. Even with all those footnotes, he doesn't even translate the French. Well, he assumes his readers will have French. Why would he do that? I don't feel like you're trying to understand. I feel like you're trying to get my permission to stop trying. No. No. I, I want to understand. Why? Because, because you say it's great. That's why I'm here, isn't it? To understand. Why are you here? Because I deserve to be. Sorry, that sounded... No, I do. I got a perfect score on my SAT. I was valedictorian in a class of a thousand. Every day in a hundred ways, this institution tells me I don't belong here, but I do. My father was a great admirer of Dr. Du Bois. He raised me to value the education he was denied. Those names carved in the five-foot letters on Butler, I want to know what they know. So, you're the talented tenth? I aspire to be. I need an extension. <laughs> What? That's funny, right? What is? You give this whole speech about your great promise and then you ask for special treatment. I'm not asking for special treatment. Yes, you are. My roommate says students ask for extensions all the time. Not the day the paper is due. It's not how it's done. There's a procedure. But I don't know the procedure. If a policy is assumed to be common knowledge, it actually just privileges students already in the know. They're the ones receiving special treatment. It's actually a pretty good argument. Thank you. Lev crosses to the bookshelf and takes out The Well-Wrought Urn by Cleonth Brooks. Here. 
Read this. It's a classic. He gives David the book. Thank you. So you give me the extension? I have decided. Make your case. Make my... Yeah. Okay. Professor Trachtenberg, you say you've advocated for working-class black students here at Columbia, but it's not enough just to let us in the door. Even with the scholarship, I still work two jobs outside of school. I help pay rent on my parents' apartment. My mom asked me for help, and my dad winces like he does when he climbs stairs, but there's nothing they can do. They need the money. You're on full scholarship. Yes. Tell them you can't do it. I can't. I did. My parents didn't speak to me for months. They survived. My parents have given me everything they have. They place all their hopes and expectations on my shoulders. Tell them that's unfair. You have to live your life. I can't. You can't or you won't. I won't. Where I'm from, you don't understand. You take care of one another. Someone gets evicted, they come sleep on your couch. They have a kid's game to get to, you cover their shift. Capitalism is trying to sweat every bit of value out of us that it can, and we're trying to make a life in that pressure cooker. Not just a living, a life. I can't turn my back on them. I'll be turning my back on myself. But that is your choice. You're trying to describe it as a necessity, but it's a choice. Fine, if you see it that way. And I fail to see how any of what you've just described is either my fault or the fault of Columbia University. Okay. Now let's talk about that. Columbia University is an institution built by and for white people. Simply letting black students attend without changing the institution is... As Dr. King would say, integrating us into a burning building. You're putting us in danger by exposing us to the full brunt of whiteness. And what's more, you're asking us to consider it a favor. Black people aren't just white people with dark skin. Our institutions have to reflect that. You think Columbia University is dangerous? I do. That's incredible. It's true. It's, it's just kind of funny because I was actually in a war... We fought this guy named Hitler. So for you to tell me Columbia University is dangerous is... It's an institution built on white supremacist values. White supremacist? Yes. Those names on Butler? Plato, Aristotle, Sophocles. I don't deny that they have much to teach us, but, but don't we have something to teach them as well? Where's Douglas? Lay Overture, Du Bois. It's the same in Lit Hume. Dozens of white men, not a single black man. That's not true. You read Augustine. He was an African. Okay. And Willie, this business of defining Sophocles by his supposed whiteness is completely reactionary. Sophocles doesn't belong to Europe. He belongs to humanity. That's why we study him, not because of the color of his skin, because of the content of his work. Then why don't we study equally worthy black writers? Equally worthy to Sophocles. I don't think they exist. You don't? Sophocles is one of the probably ten most important writers who have ever lived. And Greece learned much of what it knew from Egypt. Herodotus says that Egypt gave Greece its entire religion, including the festival of Dionysus that gave rise to the ancient drama. Did you read that? The final call? I read it in Herodotus. Just one example of what I'm talking about? 
Professors don't ask white students why they're taking their class. They don't question their motives. They don't demean them. I'm not demeaning you. Yes, you are. You're asking me to perform for you, to justify my existence. If you don't want me to have an extension, just say so. I can take the hit. I don't need this, you, T.S. Eliot. I won't assimilate into a university that does not respect me, that does not teach my poetry, my music, that will not see that Ellington is every bit the equal of Mozart, that Brooks and Ellison are just as gifted as Eliot and Joyce. That's... You don't have to say what you're about to say. I know what you're about to say. There's another institution of higher learning just up the street, City College, 20 blocks up Amsterdam. My alma mater, as a matter of fact. I'd be happy to write you a letter of recommendation. If Columbia is too dangerous for you. No. I don't think I'll take you up on that. I'm in a group on campus of other radicals, and they asked me if we should put you on our list. Your list? Or professors to target. Boycotts, interruptions, sit-ins. This is a white supremacist institution, and institutions are upheld by people. They wanted to know if you were one of them. I said I didn't know. Now I do. This is so fucking Stalinist. A list? Buddy, I've been on lists before and I clean the clocks every time. I didn't live through the show trials, a world war, and the Red Scare to have my reputation dragged through the mud by undergraduates. We prepared a curriculum. A list of works that reflect the genius of black people. We are asking every literature professor to assign one work from our list during their class. Black people represent over 10% of the American population. We have contributed far more than 10% of our national culture. One text in a 15-week course is more than fair. I've already discussed it with Dean Brennan. Oh, that putz. He's been gunning for me ever since I got here. You know, when, when I got hired here, we had three faculty members announce early retirement. Terrified by the thought that a Jew would be teaching European literature. Now, we don't even stock their books in Butler. I bet Brennan danced a fucking jig when you told him you were going after me. Any excuse to can the yid. This has nothing to do with your being Jewish and everything to do with your refusal to recognize black genius. Because I teach modernism. Look, I am sympathetic to the plight of the blacks. I earnestly hope that someday you will not be an oppressed and benighted people. But the simple truth is that modernism isn't easy. We spent 10 years in the 30s looking for the next great proletarian writer. We never found him. Why? Because the proletariat is busy trying to survive. They don't have the institutional support, the money, the time. And even if they make the time, when they sit down to write, they're obsessed, understandably so, with proving a political point. Polemic may be necessary, but it will never be timeless. Trotsky understood this. You can't have great proletarian literature under capitalism. Good? Sure. Not great. That's what's truly horrifying about capitalism. It prevents vast numbers of people from achieving their full potential. There is an unequal distribution of the means of producing genius. So you don't think that there are any great black writers? No. Not in America. Not in Europe. 
I haven't done a thorough survey of Africa. Maybe there's a Tolstoy hidden somewhere in the Sudan. My God. You say all of that and you actually think you're progressive. You actually think you're a friend of the race. Maybe you were radical 30 years ago, but now you're the white liberal Dr. King warns us about. I'm not a liberal. I'm a fucking Marxist. You think you're the vanguard of the revolution, but this is how the counter-revolution starts. The left eats its own tail. Like the kids in Mao's China right now throwing their professors out of windows. Like the purges of the 30s in Russia, destroying the best and brightest, the idealist, the first full flowers of the revolution. Mayakovsky, my God, that was a poet. And even the humble literary critics, those who refused to co-sign the new socialist realism. Put into gulags because they believed in form. The only reason you're not doing the same is that you don't have the power to. That's not true. You know this is my career, right? This is my life, my reputation. If you succeed in what you're doing, I may never work again. In this political climate, anything to the right of Mao Zedong and you're on thin fucking ice. It's my life too. No, it's not. You're not even an English major. Did it ever occur to you that those of us who are oppressed, shut out, maybe we need literature the most? Maybe if we're not free anywhere else, we can be free inside a book. And maybe that means books aren't just word games to us. They're bread and water, shelter, clothing. The first time I read Langston Hughes, I heard my grandmother humming in the kitchen. The first time I read Gwendolyn Brooks, I heard my aunt clicking her tongue, worrying her hands. The first time I read Baldwin, I, I saw the voice in my own head spread out on a page, and I knew I wasn't alone. If you can't see genius in that, that's on you. Black people are done changing ourselves to fit institutions. We're changing institutions to fit us. No. That's not how it's done. You don't ask them to change the rules. You beat the fuckers at their own game and rub the smug faces in it. If you win your way, there will always be an asterisk next to your accomplishment. You don't want that, trust me. Why should I? Because I, we, because we did exactly what you're trying to do 20 years ago. And you really think the same tactics that work for you will work for me? I don't see why they shouldn't. Because of racism. David, when I was your age, my people were being gassed at Auschwitz. And my people were being lynched in Mississippi. How many? Do you know? It damn sure wasn't six million. David sets the well-wrought urn on Lev's desk. He turns to go. I'll see you on the picket line. You choose which side. David calmly exits, closes the door. Lev throws the book at the wall after him. He sinks into his chair, runs his hand through his hair. We see anger, sadness, fear. Lights fade.